Welcome to Weeaboo Hell. It's Weeaboo Hell. I'm host one, Blind Monkey. I'm host two, Mute Monkey. You can also call me Denard Dale if you want to sound like an adult or one of the various editors that rejects my stories. I'm, I'm not bitter. Sam Legault. Most people just call me Legault at this point in my life. Yeah, when did you let go of your first name? How does that feel? It has a whole lot to do with just the fact that um, most of the circles I run in have someone who was there before me also named Sam. I like to be gracious. You like to be gracious. You like to be giving. It's a gift to the world. Normally, this is more of a... I guess normally the first segment's more of a review format, but I thought you would spice things up again with just some general gushing. Because, honestly, I'm a negative fucking person. A lot of what I'm going to say about any given show is kind of just shitting on it for existing. And we feel like Attack on Titan is in a real exciting place these days. In both versions of the story... It's kind of at the top of its game, and this is actually pretty exciting, having, you know, arrived at it around when everyone else did, around mm-hmm. 2013 or so, gotten really, really excited, been part of the first wave of hype, withstood the first wave of anti-hype, you know, and stayed stayed with the series, you know, this whole time, even, like, waiting the three years between season one and two by mm-hmm. reading the manga, and then it's just really exciting seeing it reach the heights that it has reached. It's interesting that you bring up anti-hype. I don't, normally, you know, I have that knee-jerk thing against any neologism, but I think you're onto something there. There's sort of a, a weird modern thing with fandom where between books or seasons of any given property, I don't know if it's like an entertainment refractory period, but you get that sort of pushback against whatever broke out at that moment. Well, it's because... um. In the age of the internet and online discussion, it is impossible to experience a work in a vacuum anymore. Now you must also experience the conversation around that uh, that work, the discourse <laughs> around it. And um, it is very, very easy to want to avoid the discourse or very quickly get tired of the discourse. That's the first reason that anti-hype exists. The discourse will come to you first, it will get annoying, and then your bone to pick will be with the work itself rather than the annoying discourse, right? It's happened to me enough times, and it's why I don't watch a couple different shows, I'll admit. I'm not perfect. Any standouts on that front? Good Omens became immediately beloved by the uh, Doctor Who lock. Uh, No, Doctor Super lock. Oh, God. Dr. Sherlock? Dr. Who, Supernatural, Sherlock crowd, they're all the same fandom. And as I find that crowd pretty damn annoying on the best of days. I like to refer to it as the most annoying person in your dorm hall crowd. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that, that's fair. Like the sort of like you have to be in the same anime club with this person. But yeah, and uh, I guess that sort of crested after the first, after the first uh, season, first core. Has Core taken over the terminology within the community? I don't core even know. Core refers to 12 episodes, and then full Core is 26 episodes. Uh. Not, or is it two Cores? I don't know. The seasonal anime has ruined me, and I do not like it, and I really, really miss when shows just get 26 episodes. It was a pretty unique edge of the format. Like they, they Just going into pre-production, knowing exactly how long the series would be, I think it definitely helped some things. Pacing. Then again, if it... Pacing. Pacing. That is a four-letter word in the Attack on Titan fan community at this point. That's a whole other thing, yeah. Then we could talk about the other four-letter word. Path. 
Ah, uh, yes, Path. So, I no. have to say, what has impressed me with Attack on Titan, and maybe it's just because I watched my older sister go through Lost and become, I think, more embittered by the fall of the show Lost than our entire traumatic childhood. She's like, okay, yeah, sure, bad parent, whatever. Military school, don't care. Lost fucks up towards the end. My world is over. I can't trust anyone anymore. <laughs> and she will always just sort of see that J.J. Abrams' names in the credits of a thing at this point. I think I can sort of relate, like, Mass Effect Andromeda just a little bit. I remember feeling exceptionally betrayed by that game. That one's different, though. That was, like, falling off in the beginning of a new, like, narrative loop. With Lost, we're talking about cocking up the ending. And I guess my point with, with talking about Lost is that Attack on Titan, in its current thread, strikes me as... Well, I guess there are two options. Either he knew where he was taking this mystery in the first place, or he's just a virtuoso improviser. I think it's probably the former. There's been a whole lot of evidence that that is the case. People have been combing back through earlier chapters of the manga, and, like, no joke... Oh, and spoilers for um, the latest chapter of the manga, which is uh, 120, I think it's called Instant, it just came out earlier this month, a couple days ago. Someone oh. went back and found Eren and Zeke, memories of them, or like them within the paths, literally watching the Attack Titan trying to punch out Mikasa in chapter fucking 12. They're there, they're there, they're in the background, they're hard to see, but if you're looking for them, they're there. You have to admire that level of detail. And not only that level of detail, but once again, when you talk about pacing, and I know other people have problems with shows pacing, whatever, but I think that doling out anything that's woven or knotted together that way and keeping the thrust of it entertaining, like not losing the immediate small-scale plotting while you're walking along the bigger road is always a challenge in writing. I'm one of those terrible people who... Because my first two loves are writing and punching, tends to think of shows mostly in terms of plotting and choreography, which I know makes my general opinions on the entire romantic arcs that comprise 40% of media invalid, but whatever, it's where I'm coming from, it's where I live. I get that. And this is a show that does those two things well, so I can enter that warm tub of Attack on Titan water and really enjoy myself. It's almost more of a show for you than it is a show for me because I absolutely enjoy, like, a well-written, you know, like, nar uh, romance narrative through line or whatever. But Attack on Titan is so unbelievably devoid of any of that shit whatsoever. He uh just... Isayama either, like, could not be bothered or he just, like, really likes the idea of a world where people are too miserable to make eyes at one another. Pointedly so, pointedly so. I... I remember there was that article circling around when people were in the middle of a screeching very well-adjustedly about the Game of Thrones finale. And it was I think it was National Geographic. It might have been Slate. But the author was talking about how some stories are more sociologically structured, i.e. about the how society sort of pushes people along certain paths than necessarily relationship-based. I mean, obviously, every story has relationships and every story well, has I mean sociological structures. But, like... I guess within a show's fixations. So I guess just to simplify this, every story is either character-driven or plot-driven. That is a way to describe it, but I think... If, if you want to think of like a D&D &D alignment grid kind of thing, mm -hmm. I think this is more of a vertical axis to the character-plot 
horizontal axis. True, and there are, like, the odd, really, really well-done series where the character drives the plot, drives the character, drives the plot. That is um, true, that is true. I recently started watching The Wire. I, I know, I, it's, I should have gotten to it earlier. But uh, I found The Wire to be one of those series. Um, I mean, if you think you're bad, I am the worst breed of heathen in that I watched the first season of The Wire, loved it, and then caught, got caught up in other stuff and stopped. And whenever you tell people you've watched some of The Wire, I don't know, you might as well tell them that you killed, like, half a dog. As far as they're concerned, you're just a bad person. <laughs> no, I get that. It's, um... I always feel like a little bit of a heel. Like, quoting the show, you know, referencing the thing, uh, you know, telling people that it's all in the game. And I'm and I'm a fraud, right? Because <laughs> I'm, like, I'm maybe, like, seven episodes Live that fucking life. <laughs> Oh, man. But now the That's world great. knows, so now I'm free. I think I was like that with the uh, film Top Gun until I actually watched it two weeks ago. I was just basically just an Archer fan. I, I had secondhand awareness of aviators and machismo and awkwardly filmed sex to take your breath away. There are only a few things I know about Top Gun. Like, the first, and from what I understand, most important one is that it's, like, super gay. There is a specific scene when it comes to that movie, and it's four airline pilots playing shirtless volleyball. volleyball yeah, the volleyball except for scene. the friendly character actor who has to wear the white t-shirt of shame because I guess he couldn't get his twelve pack together in time for this baby oil scene. Oh god, and that's really gotta crush your fucking self-esteem. Mm. Like, you already know in your subconscious that you're standing next to Tom Cruise looking like a tub of fucking shit. <laughs> but then to just underline it that way is... It's, re it's really fucking ruthless. I feel like that's how most people feel standing next to Tom Cruise. That's certainly how I'd feel standing next to Tom Cruise. Or next to, like, late-game Aaron Yeager, who, like, got some kind of cheesecake bonus oh, right. in the last yeah. 30 chapters. That, like, remember, like, when Attack on Titan didn't have fan service whatsoever, and then Aaron Yeager just stopped wearing a shirt? It's an interesting approach. It's an interesting approach. Like, I actually kind of appreciate them throwing that bone in a different direction than most than most programs. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um... Like, I guess titillation doesn't have to be about tit. I think one of the scenes I'm most excited to see adapted is when he does his fucking, like, contortionist sunset pose after escaping prison. You know the one. Yeah, it's... It's a moment. And I guess that gaining that whole minor edge sparkle is just sort of a signifier of his more general ca character arc into... People like the uh, Big Boss comparison. Yeah, I no, think absolutely. it's apt. It, a lot of the times when you have this kind of... I know, dark buildings, Roman, like the, the main character gains cynicism. It's an interesting idea, but sometimes a book or comic will suffer from the starting point not being that interesting. Like, the character normally starts in a more sort of Pollyanna kind of state. Like, mm -hmm. this world is innocent and pure, and, and like, I'm innocent and, and pure in it. It's very clear that, you know, that is not going to last and that they are going to go down a dark path. But Aaron begins at blind hatred and then comes to sort of... Um, comes to a point where he realizes that hatred is not really useful to him anymore, that it's um more of a product than anything. 
he's had one of my favorite character arcs i want to say um that i've ever seen in a uh, in a manga or anime just from start to presumably very close to the finish right now it's almost like the gaining of geopolitical wisdom <laughs> like he comes to understand that there is all this madness acting on people and makes his own choice in how to pull the threads of state. Well, it's because the story very much um, starts with the axis of, um, or the the uh, the continuum of good, then down to evil, and then comes to sort of reassess itself and um, decides that good and evil are sort of products of the true. Um, moral axis here which is freedom and slavery the interesting thing about how this is sort of delivered is that the story complicates itself as aaron's worldview complicates itself like they're sort of twinned well, like we start with a very we start with the most straightforward like moral dynamic possible which is just people they, who want to live versus distorted monsters distorted monsters who want to eat them what I found very fascinating is as the story progresses, it starts out as a very ontological mystery and then becomes a very, like, um, character-based mystery, right? The secrets are no longer um, what's beyond the wall, the secrets behind the world that has been hidden from us. The secrets are now what kind of fucking game is he playing? What is she up to? Are, are they lying? Are they telling the truth? Oh, God, how many of us have drank the wine? It's a... It's definitely an impressive balancing act. I keep on saying balancing act, but uh, sometimes... Well, the whole thing is it makes you feel really paranoid. Um, it has from the start. Like, mm-hmm. um, at first you feel trapped and, like, death is inevitable. And then you feel um, alone um, and yeah. scared and, like, you can't trust anyone. It's a really nice impression of what it must feel to be goon number 14 in a James Bond plot. And the world is moving at 55 miles per hour around you, and you're just trying to get along on your scooter. I mean, I like that they wrote goon number 13 into a large character, and his name is Floke. Ah, yes, Floke. What a shitbag. <laughs> I remember the, the one, um, one of the only parts of that manga, it's that show, it's been animated at this point, um, where I felt... A little bit of a disconnect from it is when anyone tried to present the argument that saving Irwin was a better idea than saving Armin. Because you can look at the fucking scorecard. <laughs> every single idea that's been, uh, that's been you know, like, shopped and has worked, you know, from the beginning of the series up to present has been, in fact, Armin's idea. He's been the reason they are there at this point. It's the comparative scorecard like, of... He is the gun, and Aaron is the bullet, to reuse a metaphor from Black Lagoon here. Yeah. It's it's like comparing the scorecard of LeBron James and a particularly sprightly cheerleader. <laughs> like, say what you will about the man's hairline, at some point you need points on the board. <laughs> Which is not to say that I do not like Erwin as a character or do not think that he served a good purpose both within the narrative and, you know, in-universe mm-hmm. served a good purpose um, as leader of the Survey Corps. I think that he was a very good leader of the Survey Corps. It's um, very telling that um, it actually starts to come apart at the scenes once he's gone. Now, this yeah, is not he- to say that I think that they went with the wrong person because in the end, Armin... 
he's got the plans, and I think they need the plans more than they need the, you know, charismatic leader in this case, but his presence is certainly missed in the story. Yeah, it's like the line between, like, a good, a good general, I don't know, like, fucking Ludendorff or something, and, like, Napoleon. Napoleon. Is Napoleon fair? He was really, really good until he lost. If you choose to fight the established world, at some point it's going to fall apart no matter how good you are. And now I'm remembering, like, my... No, now I'm failing to remember, sorry, um, my middle school history class because there was this one British general in the... Pickett, Pickett. Let's go with Pickett here. Mm -hmm. The difference between, you know, like... Eric, uh, Eric von Ludendorff, you know, circa 1914 to, uh, what was Pickett's first name? I don't know Pickett's first name. The Charge Guy. You know, circa, uh, Pickett's Charge. Circa 1865. That's a, that's a fun place to be. Actually, um, Irwin's invisible presence after his death in the manga, I'm not sure what it reminds me of, but you're always sort of left wondering oh man, if only Irwin were here, right? Mm. You know, he could have he could have maybe kept this from happening. You know, cooler heads might have prevailed because he'd have been there. And it, you really, um, it really serves to kind of um, heighten the sense of um, frustration and fear and like not really knowing the correct path forward. Um, you, you, it allows you to sort of get into um, Armin and Mikasa, not Aaron, not anymore, um, Armin Mikasa and, you know, like Team Levi's head a little bit better. Um, feeling of, they're feeling just how uh, amazingly helpless they uh, they ultimately end up feeling. Speaking of the magical words of frustration and helplessness, I am forced to turn towards the wonderful hat trick he pulled with Rainer. <laughs> oh my god. What a, what a fucking character. What a moment in like anime the- and manga history. Across one reveal and one time skip, a character evolved from the big guy to your local Darth, to your sort of local Darth Vader heavy, and then you find out that Darth Vader has like th- has like three tactical reprimands and depression, <laughs> and he's really just trying not to have a heart attack on a given day. And all he wants to do is die. He wants to go home, die. <laughs> he just wants to go home, and I. One of my favorite little things um, in late Attack on Titan is how um, how mistaken he is about Eren because he's trying to empathize with Eren and all he can sort of imagine is that Eren wants to die as much as he does. And that's just not the case. That scene is some of the most wonderfully done projection. Oh yeah, one of my favorite pages of the manga to date is him trying to convince Eren it's okay, you can die now. And then and then Aaron, you know, with his reaction to that, which is, you know, a pretty, honestly, a pretty standard Aaron reaction. But given as he had been all mysteries up to then, it was pretty well executed. Just like seeing the angry face again. It had been, it had been sorely missed. I think seeing the long-term success of this sort of gets at what I was thinking about in regards to the show against a lot of its contemporaries. And when I say contemporaries, I don't, I don't mean other successful programs in its time. This doesn't really have much to do with, say, I don't know, Pop Team Epic. 
But I mean specifically the three or four like notable shows I've ripped it off wholesale. Oh, I just watched the uh, the Cabinary of the Iron Fortress movie earlier today. How'd that shake out? It was fine. Like the, yeah, the, the, the thing, entire show things, was fine. Those things are fine, and it's odd to me that a lot of its long term influence has been more in terms of style than the sort of substantive gears underneath it. Um. Well, yes and no. Um. You know where I noticed its um its influence was in um Iron Blooded Orphans. Um, mm-hmm. although it was very much in the visuals, um, and the direction. So I guess it's more, um, not how the manga has been influential, but how the anime itself has been influential in the way that Tetsuro Araki, um, directed it. And uh... there's a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of the, uh, way that they kind of move the camera around. I'm forgiven. It's, it's animated. So forgiven value of camera, the way that they move the camera around, the way that they, um, the way that they kind of compose the shots. Um, I, I noticed just a whole ton of um, Attack on Titan's DNA and that, and that's the sort of thing that I like seeing. And then you you get shows like um, oh shit, like is that time no again? Seraph. Oh man, Awar yeah. no sir, put a quarter in the fucking jar. Which no sir is such a fucking monkey's paw finger. Just like oh man, I really I really wanted I really wanted it to be important and influential so bad. Let me see Attack on Titan be important and influential as you wish. And then we got worried no Seraph. <laughs> it was interesting watching a show have a stroke and in hindsight, what's particularly great about those first four, like the the rest of it's this whole other bleach brand of shittiness but i love how i think the first three episodes are three distinct shitty shows yes as i remember like that the shitty edge show of the kids is completely unmarried to the bad fest that was going on later i i just okay so we've been over this before literally in our flag not literally in our maiden episode but I just want to reiterate how absolutely astounded I was that they managed to also have it take place in high school. Like, it's a feat. It really is. It took effort. They had a society being rebuilt from the ashes. And evidently one of the structures that we preserve for reasons is the traditional Japanese high school. In a more satirical work, that'd be funny and really clever, but Owari no Seraph is not such a satirical work. It is not clever. It's just because the writer, I don't I don't pretend to remember his name. He's not an important name. Um has decided that no, no, no. High school yeah, that sells. People love this. This is this is what this is what animes take place in high school. Everyone knows that. Man. So in terms of like the guts of Attack on Titan, right? Mm-hmm. Shingeki no Kyojin. If you, I know, lost some lunch money on the playground, I refer to them. I refer to it pretty much interchangeably. Sometimes I'll say one, sometimes I'll say the other. There's never any reason. Yeah, the I don't know the brain pongs around. Uh. But in terms of the sort of guts of the thing, it's really interesting seeing a mech show getting snuck in through like a fleshy medieval setting. It's it's actually feels like quite a victory that. Um, the most important anime of the uh, the aughts, I guess, 2000-2010, was a mecha anime. And then the most important anime, looking like it, of 
the 2010s was also a mecha anime. You just didn't quite notice. Excellence itself. Um, should yeah. we unpack that in case it's not in some people's, like, I don't know, back of their mind or their layer of the discourse or whatever? Yeah, yeah, I think that I think I think that is fair. Um, no, when you um, when you look at it, it's um, it's very similar to a real robot show specifically. Um, yeah, and it's it's in both a few surface layer elements and just the overall style and preoccupation with like I don't know World War One Two era pol- politics. Yes, especially in the latter half of the series. I mean, first off, there's the just the basic layer where the titans, the large things that they turn into, and the and you know, it's like kind of kind of pilot just a little bit in there, and just in a very nuanced way, certainly. Oh yeah, definitely a unique take on the fucking concept. Instead of beam sabers, they eat one another. Definitely a way more straightforward relationship to like the mech or titan flesh or whatever being a reflection of the pilot. Is it just being the large it's version just, of the it's person? It's just them, except tall, naked, and with a kind of like fucked up face. Yeah. Okay. Real. Speaking of fucked up face, I have to. The Attack Titan looks like Kota Ibushi. Yeah, is it's that, is impossible for me to unsee now. Right, it looks like Kota Ibushi. I don't know if it's intentional. I know that the Armored Titan is supposed to look like Brock Lesnar. Like, that's been confirmed. If it wasn't for the Armored Titan looking like Brock Lesnar, I would say that the Kota Ibushi thing is probably a coincidence. But if he's enough of a wrestling fan to do the Brock Lesnar thing... Well, he's specifically an MMA fan, and I have heard, I don't know if this is um, confirmed or not, that the Attack Titan is based on this one Japanese MMA fighter um, whose name escapes me because I don't follow MMA, I follow professional wrestling. Um, but, no, he looks like Kota Ibushi, man, come on. Yeah, he looks like Kota Ibushi. <laughs> okay, it'll be confirmed. We'll know for sure if fucking Ymir in her little bare feet or whatever turns around and turns into Kenny fucking Omega or something <laughs> then we'll have a, it'll be a the pretty good chance pose. <laughs> yeah it does the gun pose <laughs> the last words of attack on Titan are good night good luck bang and people fucking riot Kenny Omega has no idea why but we are sending him fucking letter bombs now <laughs> but you know that Toby Fox the fucking Undertale guy did the video for his um for his entrance uh, in uh, the latest Wrestle Kingdom before he left for AEW, really? Yeah, he made he made he made an Undertale video for him. That's great, right? Uh, it was pretty rad. I'm pretty sure that Kenny probably reached out to him because, as any wrestling fans who happen to be listening to this may know, Kenny Omega of All Elite Wrestling and formerly of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Is a gigantic weeb. He is the most self-actualized weeaboo in the world in that he moved to fucking Japan to become a video game-themed pro wrestler. And by golly, he did it. And became the most well-paid and well-known weeaboo short of whoever ripped off Kimba the White Lion. Uh, I think that was Mustard and Clement. Uh, Mustard and Clement. Good, Good on them. Good on them. Worst people have stolen from worse things. Yeah. Um, also, that, it's also holding sort of a Hamlet rip anyway, so kind of fucking... Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. It's like, a, it always felt like more of a Hamlet rip than than, than Kimba the White Lion. Ha- not having seen all of Kimba the White Lion, I think I, I think someone alerted me to the similarities once, and I went and watched a couple of episodes. I'm like, well, this is an anime from the 60s, and it's <laughs> very, very choppy. Ugh. 
budgets weren't invented until 1975, Sam. Then again, I can I can watch Lupin the Third, like the original version of Lupin the Third, without any problems whatsoever. So I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's a maybe it's a matter of preference. Cause, uh, oh man, that that show is comfort food to me. Speaking of matters of presentation, mm-hmm. I think it's about time we talked about the uh, most important member of the uh, animated Attack on Titan creative team, which is Link's Horizon. <laughs> All right, yeah, no, I absolutely. I've had a whole lot of thoughts about this. Um, the the latest um, the latest OP this this fourth OP, fifth OP. Sorry. Um, no. Wow, time flies. Huh? Sixth. Jesus. No, I think it's fifth. The one, two from the first season. Um, they were from the fourth from the first half. Yeah, fifth. Fifth from the second half. Um, wow, we are aging and dying. You have facial hair now. I have, like, lines now. Weird. <sighs> what I like is how it's uh, the last quarter or so of, uh, of the OP, as it's presented and cut in the actual OP, not the track itself, is just a medley of every song that um link to rise and had done for attack on titan thus yeah. far that oh that they were they were like they were pandering to me and i bought it i bought it so hard oh yeah yeah i, I just held up my wad full of money and said i want three uh it it, it made me feel things very very it, impressively it, done. It, it was it was it was actually really good fan service right here it just made me feel very much like a like i'd been on this journey since the beginning and I was just as much of just as much a part of it as all the individual characters were. Mm. Um because yeah, it absolutely has been a journey. I um from Aaron's perspective, from ours, from the show going from action horror to a political thriller basically. Slash spy drama political thriller spy draw i guess that is what i would classify it as currently but just with you know flesh flesh gundams yeah something i i literally just remembered like normally i'm a pretty notes heavy guy call my strength or weakness in this whole podcasting format yeah this, this is the loose fit episode it's, it's fine if you uh, just remember this but uh, I just remember my first experience with this franchise mm. was way before i delved into it at length but it was early in its run and they're doing this promotional thing in America where they're just handing out leaflets of like the first chapter, basically. Oh, interesting. I will I will share yeah. my experience, my first experience with this series, but go on. And I remember I was in some snotty little ship mode at the moment. <laughs> and I read through four pages. And I said, eh, what kind of generic bullshit is this? And then, I don't know, I went back to... Depending on the depths of my edge at some point, I think I was reading some Ennis thing, I don't know, something called something called Punch Soups the Superman Bad. We can talk about Ennis later, or now if you want to. And I finally I mean, figured out what I don't like about Garth Ennis. I mean, I love Garth Ennis, but let's, get, let's give Isayama his own time. Oh yeah, Cape no, Shit Hell will come around again at some Cape point. Cape Shit Hell anyway. can come around and I can say my piece about Garth Ennis. Spoiler alert, he doesn't know how to write bad people well. <clears throat> but, sorry, I needed... I, I couldn't let you got to You got to get it out. You got to do shout, it. Shout, shout, this is your therapy, Sam. This is your mic. <laughs> no, my, my first experience, getting back on top, my first experience with Attack on Titan was um on the motherfucking Last Airbender subreddit. 
It was just a piece of fucking fan art that people had drawn. Was, this was like 2012 or so. We were in the middle of, uh, we were in the 2012, 2013. We were in the middle of Legend of Korra airing. Um, I hadn't begun to really feel betrayed yet. Um, oh man, you know, it keeps coming up with you. Like I have cut out like, so we're just going to do an episode on it. Like we might, we will have to do it. It might just be the hour. Listen, no, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Avatar and Korra are anime. I'm with Jeff Thieu on this one. I, I think he's correct in assessing it as anime, as classifying it as anime. It can be on Weeaboo Hell, certainly. Right. Um, so, but, this is, so this is an argument I haven't paid too close attention to. So my understanding is he he has a line where he pitches anime as more of a set of stylistics. Yeah, it's an art movement rather than a genre or even a medium. I'm a flexible person. I can rock with that. Yeah, no, he um he'll he'll say that um that he similarly classifies shows like um steven universe or even samurai jack as anime or very much anime adjacent he was talking about how um there are various different qualifiers right that um that have been set up that uh that sort of either get you into the club or not um and a whole lot of them seem very arbitrary right because um following a number of these rules you know, a show like Big O gets disqualified because it was, um, I think it was produced in part with Cartoon Network, which Jesus is an American Christ. company. I used to get up at 4 a.m. in fucking high school to watch Big O. Maybe if I watch that show again, I'll get it. I like. I remember watching it, you know, and I was like 12, 13 years old, and I, I remember like, yeah, no, I don't get it, but I don't care that I don't get it. This is just so cool. I understood that much. It would be an interesting revisit then. Like, is there a deeper layer that you're missing? Is it just a show that looks cool? Am I, I certainly enjoyed that it looks cool. Oh, I certainly enjoy that it looks cool. It like it seemed to be this odd retelling of Batman as well as ten different other things. I think that show also kicked me out of any denial that I had that I was just a full mech friend. Oh no, absolutely. I um that show. I think um Gundam Wing was airing around the same time. Oh man, Gundam Wing is. I love that random modifier that like a seemingly bad to mediocre sci-fi thing can get by just calling something. <laughs> and ev- evidently, Gundam Wing gets to be the great fucking prophet of drone warfare. So that's the world you live in now. I feel, I feel like this has come up on this program before. Yeah, yes, the, because it's fucking because, hilarious. Because it's really, really pretty goddamn uncanny. To bring it back to yes, my first exposure with this series, I think someone had uh, someone had made some fan art and posted it on um, the last Airbender subreddit of I think it was the characters Korra and Mako flying around in the scout the Scout Legion outfit, and I was like, huh, that's 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 some fun costume design right there. And I think that was actually what originally um, fascinated me with the um, with the series was um, apart from everything else, it has. Um, Really fantastic character design, uniform design, the whole... Its world building is so very much baked into um, its look that um, you you kind of almost don't notice the world that you're... You're experiencing the world without really um, noticing that you're experiencing the world, if that makes any sense. It does. Um, and I think that is really, really difficult to do well. Um, and this this series has done it exceptionally well. I can think of um, only a couple other series that I've seen do it as well as Attack on Titan did. Just sort of um, build a world that is very different from ours that people live in 
and kind of convince you that it's real, not by going on and on about it, by just having it be there in front of you. Oh, yeah, yeah, like world building where it's more caked into the texture into and the texture. I think, at a certain pace. Like, I mean, not... You can feel that in FMA, maybe. I was going to say uh, Full Metal Alchemist, specifically with the um the trains in Full Metal Alchemist and just how you get this sense that uh, everything kind of... The entire world kind of runs on the trains. They are sort of mm-hmm. at that point in uh, societal development. Um, that was always really kind of a fascinating aspect of the show to me, just sort of how they were... Um, they were in kind of that point of um it's not i think early modernity actually refers to um the early renaissance but um oh my god late industrial this whole thing you're talking about i finally get why okay one of 18 reasons okay it's also the isekai hate hour or whatever right, but sure. one of the reasons i really can't stand most isekai thing is because they all take place in the same world not only do they all take place in the same world but the world isn't really tethered to anything but a vague recollection of a video game i don't think the author has played in 10 years yeah no it's it's well here's the thing everyone plays fucking dragon quest in japan i've just everyone plays dragon quest and grand blue fantasy in japan and the um the authors of these isekai works kind of understand that and take it as a given that they will understand the world that you know their work takes place in it's like it's you know it's basically just like one of your one of you, you, you i don't care you yes good yeah no you're in a jrpg can we can we be done now i don't really want to do the work here that's why isekai just is always it's just always struck me as a very lazy genre i feel like there could be some way to do that well but all these things, like, setting-wise, don't really feel grounded in, like, any particular flavor or layer of technology or overarching social theme or conflict. And it makes everything ring more hollow. Goblin Slayer weirdly does better than most of these things, merely because it's built on a foundation of, Jesus Christ, what are these little fucking shits? Oh my god. Why haven't we killed all of them? It's also not Isekai, which is just interesting. It, it takes place in a world that, like, could very well could very easily be an isekai world honestly the thing could be an isekai you could just tell me that the goblin slayer i don't know was some neat who died one day and that could be just a throwaway line and yeah continue yeah i guess i was just thinking because goblin slayer has that whole has a whole fucking video game overlay to everything's logic like there's the there's the guild hall there's a guild hall and people have classes and and whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. but even having that one little thread at least lends the tone or the flavor or the grounding of the thing something and i guess there's just just a fan not there for for most other entries in the genre yeah like it tends to just because isekai is so unabashedly escapist usually i have found at the very least an isekai lives and dies on the uh god and i feel gross saying this on the strength of its waifus with Man. very few exceptions. Like, I remember um, the Animeme subreddit just blowing the fuck up about Rise of the Shield Hero. And it mostly seemed to be because they thought the raccoon chick was cute. Jesus Christ. There but for the grace of God go we. I will, having watched a little bit of it, I will give it some credit for just better than average character design for an isekai anime. It usually tends to be one of the weaker points um, in shows such as these, with few exceptions. I don't even 
they didn't even like um overlords characters designs very well very much they weren't generic certainly but they felt uh overdone and um without any sort of um direction behind them i couldn't get into fucking overlord like i heard it was fucking hilarious maybe it pairs up or something scales up finds its stride but there's this wavelength of entry-level video game humor. You know what it is? It's fucking Newgrounds. It's fucking Newgrounds 15 years later on a professional level. The same jokes about selecting spells on a menu that fucking 14-year-olds came up with and animated and produced. And I thought we were done. And now it's looping back around on the other fucking side of the world. And I just... I, have I to can't wa- say I don't get it. I do get it. It was dumb then. It was dumb now. It'll be dumb when it's coming out of fucking, I don't know, German live-action shows in 2040. <laughs> I, I am left to wonder if there is a um a Japanese version or like at least a website analogous to Newgrounds in Japan where all of these, you know, authors and mangakas got their start. The or animators, I, directors, whatever. I think for a lot of them it's called pornography. Yes, no, that is that is true. <laughs> It is a great place to stake your claim. And and honestly, I... Like, one of my favorite mangakas, Rei Hiroe, got to start doing porn. Mostly does... Mostly just draws porn these days. And also, like, happened to create one of the best character-driven dramas of all time. On the side, I guess. And then he did Recreators. That was him. Oh, yeah. Recreators um, gets a... A minus, B plus. I would, I would like just a solid eight out of ten on that one. Yeah, it's an eight out of ten stamp from us. It's worth a watch. It's, it's very much worth a watch. It is very much a Ray Hiroe series. If you've seen Black Lagoon, it's it's very different from Black Lagoon, but his fingerprints are all over it. Just people sort sort of postulating to one another a whole lot about the nature of things. Very existential. It's it, 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 it's good stuff. The character designs are really fantastic. Oh, in that show's little metafictional thing, people are pulled from different things. And if I could just take one more fucking body blow at the isekai thing, because I guess this that's going to need its own episode too at some point. I think that might this might the, be that episode at this point. <laughs> let's call this the opening salvo of that, because I need you to see the first episode of the isekai quartet. Because I swear to God, it is the end. No, I can believe that. I've I've been it's purposefully avoid. I've been purposefully avoiding it because it's um, you, you know what it, you know what it kind of reminds me of, and I'm not even sure why it reminds me of this. Um, maybe as I talk about it, I'll come to understand it. But I remember, back in like 2011, 2012, or something like that, one of my favorite series at the time i think it was either um symbionic titan or green lantern the animated series they both got canceled around the same time and then young justice limped along for about a year later before getting canned and then finally coming back early this Mm. last year which was a whole lot of fun too this 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 year actually came back the beginning of 2019 we're actually more than halfway through i'm getting uh i'm getting sidetracked i remember Either Green Lantern, the animated series, or Symbionic Titan got canned. And what replaced it was this show called Level Up, um, which was uh, clearly, (laughs) clearly invented by network executives. And it was about a bunch of um, idiot fucking teens um, selected to be cast based on the fact that they look like... um, 
they look like stock image models of teens. <laughs> so, so this not, is the not, Getty Images squad? Not, not teens as, uh, as they actually appear, but teens as they sort of appear in the popular consciousness. They didn't, feel, they, they didn't look like real people. It was actually kind of uncanny watching them do things. Anything, it was a show about generic monsters escaping from video games and also one of the dipshits from uh, the Big Bang Theory was in it. Are you sure this isn't some kind of like fever dream you had while looking at Shutterstock photos? You know, I really want to believe it was, but I, I remember very clearly that it was not. This was a nightmare that I had to live. Um, and for, for whatever reason, I am reminded of this series whenever I see a, um, a show kind of like Isekai Quartet, which on the surface has absolutely nothing in common with it. But when you think about it, is a show oh so doubtlessly thrown the fuck together by network executives to pander on a thing that they understand people like. Uh, and maybe, in, maybe to the show's credit, these network execs understand why people like it better than the execs at Cartoon Network understand why people like video games. Um... Holy sh- like, you know, there's this, what there's a this beautiful sort of, planet. There's this, there's this kind of uh, trope in, um, in feminist media critique. Um, this sort of like, uh, this was obviously written by a man, right? You know, like, read, oh yeah, we've read, all heard that line. Read yeah. any Dave Eggers, um, just, just to begin with. Um, and then you have a show like that where it's obviously dreamed up by a boomer. <laughs> um, that has a definite fingerprint. You can always tell when something was written by five people on... By five boomers, yeah. Who kind of pulled their kids for a couple of minutes. In my head, they all look like Michael Eisner. What do you think it's like to be one of those network executives' kids? When there are three of you, and you know your focus group, he spaced you out by three years apiece to make sure that he caught different waves. Oh, so so in my head, um, they, they, they all look, act, and are like... Um, is his name Brett? Brett Eisner? Michael Eisner's son. <laughs> who was the inspiration for a whole lot of ideas at, uh, at Disney World in the mid to late 90s. Um, some of them good, some of them um, not as good. Wow, there's a, considering like, the whole like scope of the crack Disney community, did they just call a lemon of a theme park an idea Brett then? Or? Brett, you're a cool teen. <laughs> Tell me what you want. I want to sleep, Dad. I need more ideas, son. I just want this more, more fuel, more grist for the machine. By the way, mm-hmm. speaking of Attack on Titan. <laughs> oh, right. The, this was, episode is about, yeah. It was about ahead. Attack on Titan and hating Isekai. Honestly, any random episode of this show can sort of veer off into stepping on Isekai, like... You can just hear fucking F, the, the fucking stomp him in the nuts from F Granddad from the Boondocks looping in the background. It, all, it can also veer off into God, I Hated Legend of Korra, which it already has about like 15 or 20 minutes back. But yeah, I was in Japan for about two weeks this year because uh, it, it's a show called Weeaboo Hell. I don't know what you think I would do with my fucking vacation time mm-hmm. and hard earned money. Less than you want for a trip to Japan, by the way. But uh, it was. I don't want to say from like the horses and all those interesting seeing it have as lo- it have an even larger presence somewhere. Like I went to this place called the Sunshine Mall, which is 
don't know, they're equivalent to one of those giant fucking King of Prussia monstrosities. And still a monstrosity, but they were having this thing, they're having, they called it a festival. King of Prussia? You've never been to a King of Prussia. What is, well, I know that there's a town of, I know that there's a town in New Jersey or Pennsylvania called King of Prussia, but I... What is a King of Prussia? So it's like it's sort of like one of these Westville Malls kind of things. I guess I guess there's only one King of Prussia. I guess I got them in Westville Malls screwed up. But the okay, point sure. Is, I've been to a Westville. I've been to plenty of them. Westfield. What, yeah, the point yeah, is, yeah. I have a sibling that went to Valley Forge. I recommend not going to Valley Forge. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But one of the only attractions nearby is this giant fucking mall called the uh, King of Prussia, and I've been in there, and it is a giant, unholy, glowing shrine to capitalism itself. It is what Cain sees when he opens his eyes and he said, yes, this is good. It is what Mark sees when he closes his eyes and he screamed, raking at them until he clawed them out. And he handed, <laughs> and he handed his sword to his son, Lennon, and said, only you can save us now. And Lennon secreted himself off to a train in Germany to go fuck shit up. <laughs> My boy. I uh, took a little World War One digression there. It's a... Uh... It, it, it's easy to do but um it's hard for me not to do the first thing that i saw when i entered the uh, king of prussia mall was a spencer's gifts which would be forgivable right next to spencer's gifts is this little i would call it like a convention store like an, an event space mm-hmm. and it's just decked out with sparkles and stars and stuff to pull in kids i'm thinking oh what kind of charming disney store knockoff could it be and it's this giant child beauty pageant where all the girls are either like blonde or dyed blonde or in blonde wigs and they're all wearing less than they should be and i will never talk shit about japan and their weird a feet file adjacent thing again because an american beauty pageant is a fucked up spectacle let me tell you this is why, in this that goddamn age bracket this is why i never leave new york city like it's, it's, i'm afraid of it out there i'm afraid of the america that exists outside of new york <laughs> there's a lot out there there's a lot of that america out i there. know i know it's most of it god i'm terrified of it um and i swear to god i swear to god as i walk by there's this mother embracing her daughter and she just mouths something in her ear and this might be me projecting. I have a stand-up comedy brain. I have a writer's brain. I've got no direct imagination. I watch too much anime. But I swear to God, it's just... Don't fail me. <laughs> and I can see that girl's... The in, fear? The fear in that little girl's heart. The entire arc of her life that is leading either to a local cable news desk, cocaine or career in pornography, or perhaps a wild arc that goes through all three. It's a big fucking mall. <laughs> so Sunshine Mall is like a, was was like a, I don't know, like a big Japanese King of Prussia kind of thing. Okay. And there's a store on like the top floor that's just Gundam stuff, which is cool. That work. And actually outside of Sunshine City, I don't know why I didn't lead with this. I buried the lead, especially since this whole show is mecha adjacent. Mm-hmm. There is a large replica to scale right? uni- oh yeah you the, know it. yeah yeah i know i know about the unicorn replica right right this is sort of mecca for you isn't it yeah no absolutely one day i will have my pilgrimage but as i was saying the reason this is relevant at all <laughs> to this episode is that there was an attack on titan themed fair with like food court dishes based on the show and little decor of the show on the post okay someone could get some like limited edition fashionable stuff with with it someone linked a picture of 
like a um a, like a Levi gingerbread house with him you know doing that mimetic pose of him you know wearing the <laughs> wearing the handkerchief over his uh wearing the handkerchief over his face and opening up the window to you know that summer cabin that they were using as a temporary headquarters man in the first season that's great and it's just this big block of gingerbread that this uh that this edible you know like the, the picture was printed onto a um, piece of um I don't know, like fondant or something. I don't know actually how they do that. Um, but yes, I I want to eat that. It's a fun phenomenon. Something I am deadly curious about when it comes to Attack on Titan, by the way, mm-hmm. is like it had that it has a comedy spinoff, or maybe it's a romance spinoff, whatever. It has that Attack on Titan high school spinoff, right? Oh, junior right? high, yeah. I need to know how that fucking thing handles where the main property went. Like, Aaron going full Big Boss, Rainer being traumatized, the number of people that are traitors or loyalists to death or all this, the entire collapse into fucking World War II politics. I need to see how the rom-com universe processes that shit, because that has to be fascinating. Do they avoid it, like... Entirely, it just stays static? I, like, if... Having, I think, seen the first episode of it once and thinking, like, okay, I'm... No, this, this, this is... No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not, I don't think I want to do this. With that having been my experience with it, I have to imagine pretty much everything stays static, and it's basically just gags. Like, right? That'd be the way you do it, right? It's that'd be the of... way you do it for the quick buck. I would go back around to admiring them forever. If what instead happened was everything in the comic happens at the same pace, but they are still trying to keep up their lovey-dovey plot thread shenanigans. Oh, love it. Like, they poisoned the entire senior class with wine, <laughs> but the dance is they coming s- up next week. They spiked the punch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that rascally senior... That rascally senior Zeke spiked the punch. Who drank the punch? <laughs> The sports festival's in two days, but Rainer's vomiting in the corner because of PTSD. Aaron is sitting there, or Aaron just walking, you know, to to and from the bathroom, carrying, you know, a little card that says Hall Pass. I've always hated the chess club, Mikasa. <laughs> I've always hated the chess club. Honest to God, they waited. They did not wait long enough. I really... Honest to fucking God, would love to see an Attack on Titan Junior Eye based off of the second half of the series rather than the first half of it. Holy shit. I didn't know how much I wanted this. That would be a thing of beauty. That is almost tempting enough to become like a fucking fanfiction.net friend. (laughs) There is a lot of potential energy in there. Be like a musical based on the fucking second half of Padden or something. Oh god, I wish I could riff on this as 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 easily as like Henry Zabrowski can, but unfortunately, I never did improv. It happens. It happens. What's important is appreciating yourself. Mm-hmm. Unlike Rainer, who was never appreciated, who was never appreciated himself. by anyone, least of all himself. Actually, man, his sad sack ass would make a good protagonist for a part two. Ooh, junior high comedy version of Attack on Titan. Yeah, no, I would, I would absolutely shift the focus to him. No, like without a doubt. Um, I uh, half, half of the fucking comic is just him 
and like just Aaron giving him swirlies at every fucking opportunity he can. Like there, like a a toilet will appear in the classroom for him to give him a swirly. Aaron will kick over his desk to reveal the toilet that he has been building and saving for him this entire time. To give him a swirly. <laughs> I feel really bad for all the people who absolutely came to fucking love Historia. Um, just apropos of nothing, I um. The world did not go their way. Oh, like, like I feel that. Um, I, I I really do, and I think like a couple. I have actually heard a couple of people um been complaining to me about that about how like. Like I absolutely love the direction that the um that the series has gone in, but you've got yeah the um. You got the Jon Snows to her uh, to her Daenerys Targaryen, um, mm. really really upset that uh, I do not think she's even had a line yet um, in the manga post time skip. It's the eternal curse of any decent ensemble cast where if you write a broad swath of characters well, there's always going to be someone that people feel didn't get enough focus or had the potential energy. And maybe they're right. Maybe there's something you could have done. Maybe but the, Yeah, no. And like the it, story we have is fucking multi-threaded. Yeah. And, and it's, like, um, it's going to be kind of like impossible to sort of, um, to sort of convince, uh, her most ardent fans, um, that I absolutely think that the course that, uh, that Isayama took was defensible and that, um, I liked the direction that it went in and that no, it's because I understand their complaints too well. Um, because you were there with me watching here it comes again, legend of Korra season four. Ah, your favorite show. They just given Mako a season to really develop and breathe and become like my favorite character. And then they all but wrote him the fuck off. Jesus. Um, so I never thought something could make me like the Emperor's new groove less by proxy. <laughs> so like, so I'm there with you, Historia fans. I or I've been there with you. I get it. I like. I understand. Speaking of characters that have their fans, and even though this whole thing has been a spoiler festival, I'm just going to underline the word spoiler again because I'm about to talk about character death in glib format, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This actually shows me that I'm a terrible person. Because I fucking hate content warnings, but I'll give like a spoiler warning for a decent TV show, which I'm pretty sure means I care more about these shows than like human trauma or lives. <laughs> so that's a whole different problem. But whatever. With the whole like with the whole Sasha death, I almost wasn't sad. Not because I didn't care about the character. I thought she was a great character, but she had she was such a killable character for like feelings for so long that collecting death flags i almost feel like you know how it's sad when someone dies of cancer but if they were diagnosed at 20 and made it to 60 they had a good run <laughs> she was like that she had terminal death flag cancer for so long no absolutely i think but she like did her morning bicycle she went to chemo she ate clean <laughs> no I, I i i absolutely understand it's um that's one of the things that the series does so well is that he will introduce these so very killable characters and then not kill him until you think that he's never going to. Yeah. But, you know, every now and again, he will just not at all kill them, which is very much the case with one Connie Springer, who I am 
110% certain is making it to the end of this manga. You can quote me on that. Oh man, just limping along the finish line. <laughs> he was such a fucking red shirt. Oh my god. He was gonna die, right? I thought that he was incandescent with the wall of fire that was headed towards him. Like I think And the he most... has come through unburnt. Like I think the most predictable death in the series was um was Marco's really fucking early on. Mm. Um like he was, it was like all of the fucking death flags were there. You knew that he was not making it out of the uh, the Trost arc alive. Yeah. I think at this point I sort of need to get into the fact that at least in the first season of the anime, people got really fucking suspicious, really fucking quick. What with the fact that they um, it, one of the accusations that was actually I'm I'm rambling a little bit here. Um, one of the accusations yeah, rambling's fine, that was that was levied against this show in its first season at the very least it pretty much stopped doing this afterwards uh was the fact that um it happened only twice um we'd get introduced to a slew of characters and then they'd all get killed off um and i feel like i feel like people act like it happened more than it did it did happen more than once certainly you know the entire 103rd brigade isn't 104th 104th I can't believe I can't remember. I think it's the 104th. The entire 104th is introduced and then killed off almost, you know, like a, a, not quite to a man. You know, the, the main 10 survive and then kind of get whittled down, you know, over the course of the series. Um, but, you know, all of those, you know, you're... um, I have a thought about that, actually, and... It's only because I'm in a deep history hole that's been lasting about a year yeah, that's now. Yeah, just, that just sort of happens, right? That does just sort of happen. Specifically, Isayama once again has this World War One, World War Two yeah, kind absolutely. of fucking fixation. Like, we were like, you'd go there, then your unit would be there, and then it wouldn't because they're dead now. It really has that World War One thing of figuring out new tactics, of new technology against a new enemy... And every now and then everything just gets white because no one really knows what, what they're, they're doing, doing yeah. on the level that they need to be to execute what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And maybe that sounds cheap to say, like, that's what real life is like. But that's what real life it's is like sometimes. Like, yeah. And I think it's actually a reasonably intelligent execution of that. No, absolutely. I, there were plenty of ways that he could have fucked that up. Um, I think if he had been more cloying... I guess, in the characters' introductions. Honestly, I think they got just enough characterization. If he'd given them, you know, if every character had gotten its own, his own, like, or his or her own, you know, individual sob story or whatever, um, I think, like, most of the characters who were immediately killed off, um, they had death flags, but they didn't have obnoxious death flags. They weren't incandescent. They weren't incandescent, as you say, yeah. Um, and then the, um... And then we get a little bit more characterization for Squad Levi um, later on in the first season for the uh, female Titan arc, uh, which I think this was the Man. point. This was the point at which a lot of people started having a problem with early Attack on Titan is because they're like, "Wait, you did this shit once, um, and and now you're doing it again." And we could, uh, I could just, or we could just reuse the whole. Yeah, because that's what happens in, you know, a world I mean, war. we said it three minutes ago. Three I, don't know said, if I, know, I don't know if we're pulling our oldest card out of the decade. People just, like, keep showing up to die. Um, But I also kind of like it as sort of um, almost as a form of world building. Just 
in this world. Like, this is the texture of life? In this world, people just fucking die around you, and they do it a whole lot. Um, I mean, I always think about... Um, and, and it actually does a whole lot to shape the, you know, scene. the main three characters, certainly. How almost every scene of the scouting legion coming back from anything, from the early part to the last part, is a sort of decimated force limping through... And, and you like, would always have people coming back from, I don't know, the fucking Somme or whatever Germany's latest gas factory was during World during World War One. I. I think it was mostly Ypres, or that was that was that, that was like the big one, like the Second Battle of Ypres is the big one where they would use a whole they were using a whole lot of gas. And man, we really big up the gas and flamethrowers, but the MLG evidently just the MLG innovation of the First War was just tanks, tanks just tanks, just like <laughs> just fucking. <laughs> These like fucking you, trenches. What is this noob shit? It's like, yeah, they've got they've got gas. We have shifters. See, see, it's happening in the comic, eh? Yeah, eh? Eh? Yeah. Uh, we're we're very smart on this program. We're very we have real deep tissue thoughts <laughs> on such obscure topics as the first world. Maybe War you happening. don't understand all of the nuance happening here, but trust me, it's very smart stuff. I actually have "I am smart" tattooed on my right eyelid. Just so that people make eye contact with me and know how smart I am from the tattoos I have on my face. Oh, I don't need it. People look at me and they know. Yeah, the, the t-shirt helps, though. That t-shirt of yours. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice touch. It's a nice touch. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I think normally we close up our sort of general recommendation. Obviously, we recommend the program, so... Maybe something different could be... Are things on a similar timber you can think of? That might engage someone? Yeah, so that's a loaded question right there. Similar to Attack on Titan. There's a lot of stuff these days that's similar to Attack on Titan. True. Some stuff is very similar to Attack <laughs> on Titan. Very, very fascinatingly, you could say similar. One studio has a certain Iron Fortress, and they're just laughing into their money on being similar to Attack on Titan. I am so convinced. It's probably not the case, but this, this is just my what's the term headcanon here that Tetsuro Rocky knew that it's going to be a while between season one and season two so he just goes to studio wit and says listen i gotta keep my teeth sharp on this one great <laughs> we're gonna do this we're gonna do it again it's gonna be in a train with zombies and samurai and we're gonna get that macross guy to do the, to do the character designs and it's gonna kind of feel a little bit mid 90s which is a period that everyone fucking loves in anime it does have that texture i was having trouble yeah no it's because um the character that. designer to macross seven did the characters listen to my song that one um i, uh. I did not ever really watch any macross uh just just putting that out. Oh yeah, right um, that's um. There are some minor heresies on a part. It, it, it is a big fucking blind spot in my record. I've never done um, Robotech or remember Blue Gender underwater shit. People loved it. Whatever. It was when we were coming up. Yeah, I remember Blue Gender. But only, I only did like two episodes. No, are of that. you thinking Blue Blue Submarine Number Six? Those are both things. Bo- both those of are... them things. Both of them good things, as I remember. Uh, it was a while since I've seen both of those. <laughs> But yes, no, it's the same guy who did the character designs for Macross 7, or maybe it was Macross Plus. One of them was a movie, not the one that was the movie, the one that was the series, and it was like one of the hokier ones, but in a fun way. Uh, anyway, uh. that guy uh, did the character designs for Cabinary of the Iron Fortress, which um, is a series with uh, very good direction, very good editing, very good character design, and the writing is... There, pretty, it's pretty. It's pretty bog standard. Yeah. Like you, you know where the show is going. It has a very, very weak uh, 
bad guy who shows up around three curves of the way through and could not be more generic if he tried, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, it, he's also one of the only characters I thought had a really shitty character design. But um, this I, is a I, recommendation, actually. I, I do think you should see it. It's a whole lot of fun. I know what you mean when you recommend that kind of thing. It's a bit like triple threat like the movie's completely shallow but there's a lot of cool stuff but there's a lot of mm-hmm. i know cool action sequences people look cool so, sometimes happening sometimes for 12 episodes that's all you need i know sometimes we sound like pretentious fuckwits but a show a, and i and, think and an action fair, show can be I, I think i probably am a pretentious fuckwit i, I was think just i talking am a to fuckwit a, I'm not sure i'm a pretentious one i was just talking to a co-worker the other day defending my shall we say, uh, enthusiastic use of semicolons in my writing. So I think I might be a pretentious fuckwit. Oh, man. The EM dash is going to hit this kid like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Continue. I, I definitely also think that, like, material that's simple can be appreciate, can be appreciated on its own merits. I, I, think I, may, I think my personal stand may be more against a certain type of laziness. Like, things are just hollow at the core. I think... Oftentimes, simple fun can be used as a shield for material that just sucks. Yeah, I have and, a complicated relationship with that whole, um, what would you call it? That whole I don't, line seesaw, of argument. seesaw argument right there. Like, like, on one hand, you know, like, it's fun. On the other hand, yeah, but, like, what what is there past the fun? Yeah, but it's fun. But, like, yeah, I know, but, like, give me something here. There's no substance to it. Um... Yeah, it's, sometimes it's hard to um, draw the precise lines. I think what's important is knowing deep in my heart of hearts that I am right and will continue to be right for the foreseeable future and to carry the justice of that rectitude forward. It must be so hard for you. It's very difficult. Carrying civilization on my back is a challenge. You should be proud of yourself. But every now and then I look at those nails in my palm and I feel... A pride that can carry me forward. I think we're all proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. In any case, this has been Weeaboo Hell. It's Weeaboo Hell. I am Denard, Blind Monkey Dale. I am Sam, Mute Monkey Lego. And thank you for listening. I almost said watching. I'm getting better at this. <laughs>Okay, if you give me talking about Michael Eisner too, I will, I will go on, and this will no longer be about anime for like the next forty-five minutes because I think he's a fascinating human being and the things he did. Yeah, you gave a history presentation about Disneyland. I'm not sure this show is fucking prepared for that. No, I could, I could, I mean, there are enough like uh, like, there, there are enough Disney World or theme park smarks out there, um, and I'm not even. I would not even count myself close to like okay. the best of them we, or the most knowledgeable about them, but we'll I find, am definitely one of them. We'll find an we'll find an anime or a theme park world. There are a million theme concept animes. We'll we'll find one later. Let's let, 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 let's bury that one right sure, now. Sure, absolutely. We could talk about Tokyo Disney in the future once I finally get out there because it's like you know that's weeb adjacent right there. It's in Tokyo. Yeah. <laughs>